Greetings. Welcome to the Northwest Woodworking Studio Podcast. This is Gary Rogowski. Today's chat is entitled, 10 Things to Know About Wood. Now, you may be a neophyte, don't know much about wood at all, in which case this podcast will fill you with information and longing for more, no doubt. If you're not exactly new to the uh, game of woodworking, you'll you'll find this information of use. And if you've been at it for a while, it will remind you of some essential things. I used to go to the lumberyard and, and pick, pick out lumber like it was, um, uh, I don't know, a box of cereal, I guess. Um, very little understanding of, of the stuff itself. And... Um, Gradually, over time, there is there was much to learn, and uh, and I did so, and it opens up a world of possibilities to you. So let's get started. Number one, wood is alive. I know, I've I've said this before. I've written it, and people have complained to me. It's dead. The tree has been cut down. It's dead. Yes, I understand. But the distinction, the the fact that the wood continues to move after it's been cut and seasoned, dried, put in a kiln, it will continue to move over time is a, is a fascinating thing. So to my mind, wood is still alive. It changes with the seasons. If you live on the east coast of the United States, you know that your drawers swell up in the summertime, the windows stick with the humidity. Uh, and then come winter, things dry out, things are very loose. This is because wood is hydroscopic. It absorbs and loses moisture or water. And that happens throughout the year. As your ambient temperature and humidity change, so does the wood. Even after it's cut, wood is alive. Second on our list, some wood is more alive than others. And by that I mean the way that it is cut will affect how it moves. So there are three basic cuts that can be uh, made and to produce lumber. One is a flat sawn cut, the other is a quarter sawn cut, and the last is a riff sawn cut. I will explain. So if you take the log and you just slice it through and through, this is called plain sawing. If you just saw it through and through, here's the log. You just one cut right after another, parallel cuts. You don't spin the log at all. You just cut, 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 cut. You're going to get a lot of flat sawn lumber. You're going to see the growth rings in concentric circles, uh, smile or frown pattern, depending on uh, which side of the of the center of the tree it's on. And um, that's a flat sawn board or a plain sawn board. At a, at a certain point, at the very center of the tree, those growth rings are going to be vertical. That's a quarter sawn cut. And out near the out near the boundaries of the tree, if it's a fair enough sized tree, you'll have growth rings that are at a diagonal to the face that has been cut. So these are called riff sawn. What does all this mean? What does this mean to you? What what it means is this. Wood moves around those growth rings. So every year the tree puts on a new growth ring and it moves, the wood moves 
around those rings. And most of your movement is is tangential to the growth rings rather than between the growth rings. So on a flat sawn board with those series of concentric circles, you'll get more movement across the width of the board over the season. Maybe as much as an eighth or a quarter of an inch, depending on how wide the board is and what the swing in in, uh, moisture content can be, what the swings in humidity are over over the seasons. So that's a flat sawn board. You get most of your movement across the width of it. In a quarter sawn board with the growth rings running vertically, the movement is still in the same direction, most of it, uh, but now your quarter sawn board is maybe an inch thick. So those growth rings are running, and they only run for an inch. If it's a flat sawn board, maybe it's 12 inches wide, those are, you know, 12 inch long rings almost. And so you get much more movement in a flat sawn board than you do in a quarter sawn board. The quarter sawn board is much more stable. Now, a riff sawn board is a little bit of both, has a little bit of both worlds. So, um, in the shrinkage charts that you can get from the U.S. Forest Service, it will list tangential shrinkage and radial shrinkage. Tangential being tangential to the growth rings. Radial shrinkage being vertical grain. And then they list one other, which is T over R, tangential over radial, and that's rift sawn. And so those are your three three options. Flat sawn wood will tend to move more over the seasons. Quarter sawn is more stable. It's harder to get out of the tree because there's more, you've got to wrestle the log around more uh, or cut it like a pie, which takes a long time, takes a lot of effort. Uh, so you see less quarter sawn material. And then there's rift sawn. In a normal board, you might have all three growth patterns exhibited flat sawn in the middle to rift sawn to quarter sawn out at the edges, all in the same, same piece of wood. So the way a board is cut will influence how it moves over time. What tends to happen with flat sawn boards is that they cup towards the sapwood side because the growth rings are longer on that side and tend to pull towards each other over time as as the wood shrinks. Wood tends to dry out over the centuries. There's also a difference in how the the wood looks. So a flat sawn piece has those cathedrals or flame patterns that can be quite prominent, uh, whereas quarter sawn wood is straight lined. And in some species, like white oak, that straight line pattern also yields ray cells, which can be quite pretty. So you tend to see a fair amount of quarter sawn white oak. That's readily available. Quarter sawn red oak, quarter sawn cherry, eh, not so much. Not so much. A much more stable board, but not substantially prettier. It doesn't have those ray cells. Riff sawn material is also of value to you, not because it's sort of in the middle in terms of shrinkage, but also because you've got straight line patterns on both the face and on the edge. So it's great for chair legs, stronger, and uh, great for table legs. So any shape that you cut into that leg, the grain is going to follow that shape nicely. Whereas with a flat sawn board or a quarter sawn stick that's two inches square, you might have 
quarter sawn faces that are that are quite lovely, and the flat sawn faces are just all wacky, and there's grain running also all over the place. So you can use this these cuts to your advantage as well. Let me just clear up one thing about how to determine whether a, a piece is rift sawn or quarter sawn or flat sawn. If you look at the face, the wider face of the board, and it shows those cathedral or flame patterns, and you look at the edge and it shows straight line, that's a flat sawn board. If you look at the face of the board and it's showing straight lines, but the edge has got those cathedral patterns or flame patterns, that's a quarter sawn board. And finally, if you look at a board and there's straight line patterns on both the face and on the edge, that's riff sawn. That's how I think of it. Third on my list, wood loves water. Loves it. I used to worry about it, getting my pieces wet. Oh, I don't know, I got my piece wet. Doesn't matter. Wet the other side. Standing tree is mostly water. I don't know, 90, 95% water. That's why it's so heavy. Eight pounds a gallon, something like that. So, you know, a tree is mostly water when it's standing. When it dries out and then gets wet again, the movement that occurs occurs because one side is getting wetter than the other. I'll tell you a story. So I was working on a piece. I was working on a, a table I call the lightning bolt table and uh, had these legs that, that really did look like lightning bolts and two very thin tops that went on this table, 20-inch uh, square tops and they were half an inch thick. They were each a half an inch thick. And I had spent a good deal of time getting them cleaned up, both faces. The edge had a small bevel on it. Uh, and I'd done all this work. And I said, well, this is a coffee table, so a wet glass might be put on it. So I'm going to wet down the surface and raise the grain and sand that fuzz off to prevent that from happening in the future. And I wet down the surface of this 20-inch square board, and I washed the cup. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, I didn't panic, I didn't panic, I flipped the board over and wet down the other side and it flattened itself back out, but it was, uh, it, it did give me pause uh, as, as I watched a cup like that. Movement like that occurs when one side gets wetter than the other, that's why boards cup, one side gets wetter than the other. I told a story some, some weeks ago about bringing a pile of lumber home from the lumberyard and getting dumped on by a rainstorm. I talk about it in my book, uh, Handmade. And uh, I got back to the studio and I said, well, you know, I show students how you can flatten the board out by getting the other side wet. So I just wet down that pile of lumber. Once I got soaked in the rainstorm, I just got the other side wet and everything stayed flat. So wood loves water. Wood, after it's cut, needs time to acclimate to its environment. This is point number four. So when you cut a tree down, you will notice, depending on the species, that it starts to check uh, at that cut. You'll see splits starting to occur. So you've got these round concentric rings, and they're trying to shrink, and they can't. And so they split in order to relieve this pressure, the stress on them. And it takes a, you know, a certain amount of time to get rid of uh, the moisture that, that fills the uh, tree. The fiber saturation point is about 28% for all species. So the tubes that run up and down the tree are filled with water, and once that water evaporates, 
the moisture content is still at about 28%. That's a lot of moisture. And firewood is about 15% moisture content. So at the fiber saturation point where the, the tubes, the vessels are still wet, it's 28%. So we have to still take time to get the wood down to a usable moisture content. If you're air drying your stock, you figure about a year per inch of thickness. Some species, like uh, soft maple, will dry very quickly. Um, some species, like white oak, you wait oh, a couple of years per inch of thickness because it's got such a gnarly and tough grain. White oak can be very difficult to dry. And so you need, you need to give it time. When you cut your log down, you say, all right, I'm, this tree is coming down in the neighborhood or in my backyard. I'm going to turn it into lumber. And you start to see those checks. Well, you want to coat the end with a sealing wax. I get an emulsified wax and paint it on a couple of times to slow down the moisture loss. You want to slow that down, make it a reasonable rate. Uh, and then split the log if you can uh, or get it cut up. And then get the wood in the spot where there's going to be airflow. It's out of the rain. It's out of the sun. You can put a sheet of uh, tin over the top of it or an old sheet of plywood, something to protect it. But you want airflow and a slow rate of drying. Patience. <laughs> you need patience. Uh, I'll tell you another story. I had... Uh, Neighbor come by one time and say, hey, i got a walnut tree that's coming down. If you don't take it, I'm going to send it to the dump. you got a day. So there it was on the, on the front yard, and I called a friend up, and it was about a block and a half from my house. So uh, I have an old Chevy pickup truck. We drove the Chevy down there and wrapped a chain around this walnut log and dragged it to my, uh, dragged it to my house. It wasn't too far, a block, block and a half. So there it was, sitting on my driveway. And I decided I was going to split it up because it would be easier to handle and I could move it around better and it would dry a little bit, a little bit quicker. Um, so I started to drive wedges into it. This walnut was eating my wedges like they were snacks. One metal wedge after another after another, and then a, a rubber wedge, and it was, and then an axe head, and it was eating all of them. And this was not good, because if I was going to take it and get it sawn up, I, now I had a bunch of metal in there. So I had to figure out a way to get it to the uh, Sawyer. There's a guy I knew with a sawmill. It wasn't too portable, but uh, I had to get the log to him. So I thought about it for a while, and I said, you know, I gotta get it on a truck somehow. And I don't have a cherry picker and there's not a log truck in the neighborhood. I'll call a tow truck. And that's what I did. I called a tow truck company up and I said, how much if you, for you to come out and drag a log onto the back of one of those tilt bed tow trucks and take it uh, you know, a few miles away? And they told me the price and I said, do it, bring it over. And this guy came over and tow truck drivers love to haul logs because they never see them on, in their normal day. And uh, he says, yeah, with these four levers, I can move anything. And he did. He just wrapped his, his cable around the log and pulled it right onto the, to the flatbed and then tilted the bed up. And it was easy as pie. Cost me 100 bucks to get it to where I needed to get it. And uh, 
and sawn up. It's a great trick for moving, moving logs around. The next thing you need to know about wood is its tensile strength. So tension is when you try and pull something apart. And if you try and pull a, a, a stick of lumber apart at its ends, it's going to fight you. It's got really good end grain tensile strength. It likes to hold itself together. On the other hand, you could take a butter knife and a hammer and split a log in two if there's enough of a wedge on that butter knife um, because it has no long grain tensile strength. That's how you split firewood. So it has enormous end grain tensile strength, but crappy long grain strength. Uh, my dad was helping me once, and he was uh, doing some some wiring in my shop and he needed to run some wire and rather than drill a hole he decided he was just going to make two saw cuts in the, in the edge of a 2 by 4 and then he took a hammer and whacked it. Well that short long grain just broke right away. No strength. Pay attention to that when you're, when you're building. That short long grain is always weak. So now Another quality of wood is that it has great end grain compression strength. So if you think of a chair leg or a table leg, it can narrow down to three-eighths of an inch and still be plenty strong. Pressure down on it, compression strength, is really good. And compression strength in long grain is, is pretty good as well. If you're doing steam bending, you'll see how a, a bend will compress the long grain on the inside of the curve and stretch it on the outside of the curve, which is why a bending strap is always a good idea for the outside of the curve to help keep those fibers from pulling apart. So great end grain compression strength and, and pretty good long grain compression strength. Here's another thing you need to know about wood. Wood changes color. Nothing you can do about it. Everyone buys Paduk because they say, oh, it's so lovely, it's orange, it's just, it's great, and then it turns brown. It turns brown over time because of oxidation. You cannot prevent this. Whatever wood you choose, over time, it's going to change color. It won't look the same as when you first cut it. You can cut rosewood, and it's got this lovely purple color. It turns a brown over time. You cut cherry and it's salmon pink and you think, oh, it's always going to be this way. I built a cherry table one time and I uh, attached the top with, with uh, screws and I plugged the screw holes with mahogany because there were such great contrasts. They were both red, but the mahogany was very dark and the cherry was this lovely salmon pink. You can't tell the difference now. You cannot tell the difference. They look exactly the same. So there's, um, there are things you need to pay attention to about wood. And um, so as sort of a general rule, your light-colored woods, depending on your finish, will tend to yellow over time. If you use a linseed oil or even a tongue oil, uh, they will absolutely yellow. So red oak will yellow. Uh, ash will absolutely yellow. Maple will yellow over time. Uh, same with beech. Your redder woods, like cherry, like mahogany, will tend to go darker over time. And then a dark wood like walnut will tend to go redder over time or lighten up. Can't do anything about it. Learn to love it. If you've built a dining room table out of cherry, let's say, don't uh, don't put a runner on it uh, or you know a, a partial covering over it for months and then take it off and re see what what color difference you've wrought. 
Uh, just give it time to, to tan. Some people actually, in sunny environments, I wouldn't know what that's like, uh, actually take their pieces outside, a cherry piece outside, and tan it first in the sunlight. Uh, just put a piece of masking tape on a piece of cherry sometime, fresh cut cherry, and just let it sit around the shop. Take that masking tape off at the end of the day and you'll see a color difference. Oxidation occurs. Uh, I once went to a client's house. I built them a piece, oh, 20 years, 25 years previous. Um, it was a break front. And um, looking at the piece, I noticed that inside the doors on the bottom of the cabinet was this little, not little, it was a fairly long, maybe an inch long, very narrow triangle of dark wood. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I, I wonder why I chose that piece of wood. I mean, it's just perfectly placed. And then I realized that triangle was the little spot that the sun could get to at some point throughout the day and oxidize and change that color of the cherry just a little bit more than the surrounding wood. Um, pretty interesting. Your finish will make a difference. Uh, any oil finishes like a stain, and so it will darken things and turn things yellow. Um, shellac, the miracle finish, uh, won't necessarily do that. Um, certainly if you're using a blonde or a super blonde. Um, so pay attention to that uh, as you use, use your finishes. Wood will change colors. Cutting with the grain on a piece of wood is like petting your dog from the head to the tail. That's going with the grain. Pet him from the tail to the head and the hair all stands up, the grain stands up. Tear out comes when you cut against the grain. And it's harder to smooth, even with a rasp or sandpaper, when you're cutting against the grain. So try and go with the grain as much as possible for cleaner results. Unsupported fibers tear out in a cut. This is a truth you need to know because there will be many cuts that will seem fine and then you get to the end of the cut and bing, some chunk goes flying off in a cross cut or you're sawing a board by hand and the off cut breaks off and breaks a chunk out from underneath the stick you're holding on to. Uh, maybe you're planing the end grain or of a door and you get tear out because you haven't supported the fibers. Unsupported fibers tear out. Learn to cut in towards the middle on end grain or have a backer piece to protect the cut. When you're cutting on the router table or the table saw, sometimes you might, might uh, have a backer piece or scribe it with a knife line, uh, maybe a piece of tape uh, before you, you make your cut. Otherwise, you're going to be cleaning things up, uh, learning to patch which is one, <laughs> part of the job of being a furniture maker that isn't in the job description, learning to fix your mistakes. And finally, number 10. Wood is elemental. I think it's as elemental as, as air and water to us. We needed it to survive as a species. We, we made our shelter from it. We built fire with it to keep us warm. We made tools from it. It has been with us uh, up until the last 25 years, as a, maybe 50 years, I'm exaggerating, as just a elemental part of our existence. And knowing how to work with it was as important for 
90% of the world, as learning to use your thumbs now is for 90% of the world. Um, But we love it. We're connected to it. And the good thing about wood is that we can grow it and plant more trees. So get out there and plant yourself a tree. You'll be surprised how fast they grow. And you look back and go, look how big that thing is. Anyway, this has been Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio, rambling on about wood. It's uh, near and dear to my heart. If you have a chance, please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. Please check out our list of classes and workshops for this spring and summer. Love to see you in the studio. Support us on Ko-Fi if you've uh, mind too. I'd appreciate it. And please check out my book, Handmade. Creative focus in the age of distraction. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.